Great to have you here. We, a few weeks back, started a series of messages based on questions like, why are we here? What's church supposed to be like? Why do we have to have a big church? Why not a small church? Why a small church? Why not a big church? You know, I mean, all the why questions about church, we wanted to try and find an answer to. So we're going to do a series from now until literally Easter Sunday. And if you remember, we discovered a pattern in the New Testament when the Apostle Paul wrote letters to different churches, like to Colossae, to Ephesus, you know, the book of Colossians, the book of Ephesians, or to Thessalonica, he wrote two letters to them, or to the book of um, Rome, or to, you know, we find to the church of Rome. He seemed to have a pattern. He wasn't looking at whether they were big or small, or whether they had a great youth program, or great children's program, or how good the preacher was, or how good the worship team was. He didn't even ask any of those questions at all. All he seemed to care about, in fact, in every letter you can find, right at the beginning, he, he evaluates them with like a measuring stick, with like a, a formula. And it's, do they have faith? Do they demonstrate faith? Do they promote faith? Do they have hope? Are the people hopeful? Are they negative? Are the people loving? Faith, hope, and love. That's what he always looked for. Those three ingredients, those three character qualities. If they had faith, hope, and love, he felt like, well, they're a healthy, growing church, no matter what programs or whatever else they have. But if they aren't growing in faith and aren't growing in hope, aren't really advancing in their love for one another and for God, well, then they're not really having church. They're just a gathering. So we decided, let's drill down on these three to begin with. We'll go into other stuff in the following weeks, but let's first spend a minute and think about, well, what's faith and what's a faith, you know, growing church look like? And what's hope and what's a hope-growing church look like? And then what's love? What's a love-growing church look like? So we're into hope today. We already did faith last week. So why don't we pray? Let's ask God to help us. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we ask that you would help us understand this whole idea of hope in the New Testament. All of us desperately need hope, often more than we realize. And hope comes and goes. And there's probably people sitting right here that are rather hopeless about their marriage, about their finances, about their job, about their kids, about their health. The list is long. So, Lord, help us understand hope and to be able to get a good hold on this for ourselves, for our life depends on it. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Have you ever thought of it like this? Hope is like the basis of your whole life. I bet you haven't thought of that before, but let me try and explain what I mean. You're born in hope. Your parents got married, cohabitated, and uh, they hoped you'd be born, hoped you'd be healthy, hoped you'd grow strong, you know? Think about it. It's all based on hope. All the food you eat comes from hope. Did you know that? The farmer plants a seed to ground, and he does what? He hopes it grows. He fertilizes, he cultivates, he hopes it grows. He cares for the apple tree, the orange tree. He cares for the bush. He hopes it bears fruit. He hopes he cares for the cattle. He cares for the hogs. He cares for the chickens. Why? Hoping he can bring it to market. Everything's based on hope that you eat. All the food is based on hope. Somebody hoped it would grow, hoped it would be there for you. All your education, 
You went to how many years? One year, two years, three years, four years? I went like 20 years. I was extra dumb, so I need a lot more than most. <laughs> but really, it's all based on hope. You hope you get educated. You hope you learn some things. You hope you can get a career. You hope, And so then you do get a career. You get a job, and you hope it turns into a career. And you hope you develop, and you hope you learn, and you hope you make enough money to care for your family. Oh, then you meet somebody, and you hope it's the one. And you get married in hope. I mean, I could go on all day. All of life is based on hope. This, folks, is why it's so depressing. It's so sad when you lose your hope. When you've lost hope, internally you're realizing, there goes the basis of life because life is based on hope. And, And when you lose your hope, because of this thing or that thing or this problem or that problem or this disappointment or that disappointment, you're in a really vulnerable state. Yeah, some people turn to drink. Some people turn to drugs. Some people just go into despair and even depression, sometimes even suicide. Why? They're so disappointed. They feel so hopeless. However, the Bible tells us in Romans 5, 5, there is a hope that does not disappoint. It's because it's not a hope based in this world. Guaranteed. You put your hope in anything around here, it will change. Have you learned that about life yet? It always changes. And what used to be solid sometimes becomes very weak. Things keep changing. But the Bible tells us, like in Romans 5, 5, that there is a hope you can cling to in Christ outside this temporal world into something that's eternal, that is solid, that'll hold you together, that can keep you through the storms, guide you through the difficult situations, and you can have hope no matter what. That's what Scripture teaches. Today, I'm hoping to reveal that to you. I'm hoping to help you understand it in a deeper level. I'm hoping to help you increase your hope. I'm hoping to help you learn how to use your hope. I put it down in your outline, what's called the big idea like this. A hope-growing church helps you live in hope. Okay, if the Apostle Paul's looking for hope, he's looking for what kind of church? A church that builds your hope. And the first thing to build your hope you need to do is understand it. Because it's quite a bit different biblically than it is in our common lingo, the way we talk. Point one in your outline is all about that. Helping you understand hope is what a good church should help you do. You know, in the Greek New Testament... There's this word hope that appears over and over again. And in in the Greek, it's this word elpis or elpizo in the verb form. And it literally means, get this in your brain, expectations. I have a certain expectation. And in fact, it seems to major on the idea of certainty. Let me explain. Let's talk about what hope is not. In the New Testament, this Greek word elpis does not mean wishful thinking. Like, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. No, no, no. Hope in the New Testament, the word elpis, does not have that level of uncertainty in it. No, it's certain expectation. That's what the word means. You got something solid here to hold on to. You got that in your mind? Okay, it also doesn't mean, the word elpis, the Greek word, does not mean that you're just hoping things get better in the future. There's some kind of a, a, a thought that, Things will be better in the future. Someday, I hope the Eagles can win the Super Bowl. You know, like, something like that. 
No, that's more like wishful thinking. <laughs> that's just a distant hope, you know? No, that's not what the New Testament word means when it uses this word hope. Rather, listen closely now. This is going to take some thinking on your part. Here's what hope is. It's a confident expectation. L- let me put it this way. It's a moral certainty. Let me explain it this way. It's not a mathematical certainty. Like, I have two apples, and if I get two more apples, boom, I got four apples. That's mathematic certainty, right? That's not what the word means. It doesn't mean logical certainty, like, all men are mortals. I'm a man, so I must be immortal. No, that's just logic, right? No, it's more than mathematical, more than logical. It's a moral certainty, meaning it involves my will. Remember the thing we learned about faith last week? We used a stepladder. We said faith is like a stepladder. One side of the stepladder is God's word, right? The side, the foot side. And then the step side, we said take steps of faith in your will. We called that the will. We said when your will meets God's word, boom, that's faith. It's like the top of the stepladder. But sometimes it takes steps to get there. Well, in the same way, it's going to take steps of hope, a solid hope to be able to engage your will in what God's Word says. Again, it rests on God's Word. That moral certainty. Let me try and explain moral certainty like this. It's like if I say, I'm morally certain that my wife and I, Lori, will stay married till the day we die. One of us dies or we both die. That's moral certainty. It's not like, I hope we don't get divorced. No. It's a moral certainty. Yeah, I guess logically it's based on 41 years of already being married and like, why, why quit now? Like, but, but no, it's, it's a moral will decision. Do you understand that? This is really important for you to understand because sometimes we act like hope. Just People do the same with faith. Faith and hope in the New Testament, those two words are very close. But we do the same with both. Like, oh, it either comes or it goes, you know. No, 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 no. It's a will. It involves a moral certainty by your will. Let me try and explain it this way. Remember last week we talked about faith is like a ladder? Well, if faith is like a ladder, then hope is like a anchor. And I brought one with me. It's a spare anchor. As many of you know, I have a boat. And it's from my boat. Let's say we hook this anchor... On my marriage. Ooh. Is that even fair to my spouse? Will that hold me? Well, until one of us dies or we get divorced, or many here have been disappointed. Maybe you just live together, but you are disappointed, so it just moves. Or you anchor yourself in your children because you love them so much. But maybe something happens to them like we had this last two weeks ago. Someone had their child die. Or they get sick. Or you're worried they're not following your way anymore. It moves. I'm trying to explain to you what the Scripture teaches so abundantly clear. Hook yourself to anything. Anchor yourself and it'll move. 
Some even want to anchor themselves to the Lord. So let's anchor yourself to the Lord. But then, you know, stuff happens and you're anchored to the Lord. But sometimes that's short-lived because just like Jesus said in the parable of the sower, seer and the sowed, See, the sower and the seed is that sometimes, you know, tough things happen or things don't quite go the way you want and the Lord kind of disappoints you. Oh, well, I guess I'm not following the Lord now. You're off to a drift again. This is significant for us to understand because life is like an anchor. Let me show you where I got that from. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. I didn't make it up, it's in the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 6, starting with verse 17, it reads like this. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose. In other words, he's solid. He's unchangeable. He has a purpose, and he's going to fill it. He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope. There it is, hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor. There it is, the anchor of our soul, anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. What does that mean? That's an allusion to the holy of holies in the temple. And behind the curtain was as much of God as we could possibly fathom on the earth. And he's trying to say, it's the anchor of your soul when you anchor yourself in the Lord. You, you, you might be here and you're discouraged and you're down. And, or you might be like I was talking to someone last night and they go, oh man, Marty, I was drifting for years. I thought it was fine. I didn't, I didn't know I needed an anchor more than what life gave or took. But you sure do. And we got one. He says you can have an anchor for your soul. It's Christ. Let me explain some more. Where it says in point two, that a hope-growing church will help you increase your hope. Jesus did this when he talked to the disciples. Remember in John chapter 14? Turn with me to John 14. In John 14, Jesus said to his disciples, because he noticed they were becoming quite hopeless down, worried, scared, depressed. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's trying to get them to set their anchor in him, in the Lord. And he says this, and, and you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas, doubting Thomas, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Don't you see it? He's trying to get them to set their anchor in something beside the things of this earth. They were setting it in. He's going to build his kingdom. We're going to be prosperous. The Jews are going to get recognition. And he's saying, guys, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Set your anchor in the Lord. Or look at this one. Jeremiah. You've probably heard this quoted by Christians before in Jeremiah 29, 11. He's, 
God speaking to the prophet Jeremiah, and he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. The Lord there is trying to say in just another passage of Scripture that our hope is sure certain in the Lord. He has a plan for you. In the passage we just read earlier, he's, he's, in, in Hebrews, he's saying, I've got a purpose, and I guarantee you my purpose. My plans are good for you. My plan is for your favor. My plan is to help you. Would you hold on to my plan? Oh, you say, yeah, but it doesn't always work out like I thought it would work. Of course not. Things change in this world. There's evil in this world. There's heartache in this world. He's just trying to say, hold on. God's plan can't be changed. Nothing in this world can stop it. Hold on to his plan. That's what he's trying to say. God's plan is secure. There's one more I think of. Look at this. Here's how we know it. Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews 10... We read these words, verse 23. Let us hold fast, hold, it hits that word hold, like holding the rope on the anchor, the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is what? Faithful. The whole thing of our hope rests upon the faithfulness of God. That's the point he's trying to make. You know, there's a passage um, I forgot to mention earlier. It's in, it's in Hebrews chapter uh, 13, verse 8. Maybe they can put Oh, look at this. They got it on the screen already. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, maybe you're like me, because I used, I used to read that verse or hear people quote that verse. Okay, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and think, okay, that's nice. So what? <laughs> that's extremely important. If he's the anchor for your soul, that means he's not going to change. He's not going to leave. He's not going to let loose because he's the same yesterday as he is today, as he will be forever. Everything else around will change, but he won't. So what are you going to want to do? Well, you're going to want to take your anchor and you're going to want to hook it up to the Lord. That's why we got the cross here today. I thought, well, let, let's use the cross as a symbol of anchoring to the Lord, because, you know, you're, you're anchored to Christ. Making a lot of noise there, aren't I? And so that now, no matter how far away it seems like Christ is from you, even up in the heavenlies, or as the Scripture says, behind the veil, He's still solid enough to hold my life. I can hold on to Him. But the key is this, I need to hold on. There's a few points I wanted to make here. Number one is this. A hope-growing church helps you hold on. Just like the passage we just read about holding on. That's why we have recovery groups for addicts. That's why we have men's groups and women's groups and mini churches. Folks, I don't know if you realize it, but we need to bear one another's burdens, encourage one another, build one another up, help one another. That helps you hold on. I don't think there is a person on the planet Earth can hold on to the hope in eternity by themselves. You weren't made to do that. That's why we need church so desperately. And that's what a good church should help you do. Hold on. 
If in faith, you need to take steps to go to levels you never thought possible because you have faith that's climbing that ladder, then hope is just about helping you hold on. You don't need to take steps. You just need to hold on. But like I said, we tend to slip. We tend to let loose. Second thing I want to tell you under this point. When the storms of life come, and they will, guaranteed they will, the power of positive thinking, or just say, think happy thoughts, doesn't work. Can I say that loudly? It doesn't work! Doggone it, people get mad, they go, it didn't work. Right, it doesn't. Because the only thing that will work is get your soul anchored into something solid. And when you're just drifting along, it proves your anchor came loose. That's why you're sad. That's why you're depressed. That's why life seems stupid. That's why you want to give up. That's why you don't care. That's why you're angry. That's why you're walking around pouting like a little kid, like, come on. You're not anchored. That's what's wrong. Hey, you ever notice that? Anchored people are usually happy people, friendly people, nice to be around. Unanchored people are grumpy, negative, disappointing, and not, not even a very good friend. Is that you? Have you gotten like that? Maybe you don't even want to be like that, but you can't help it. Wait, I know the problem. Let me explain it in, in the voting language. When there's a big storm, at sea, in the bay, on a lake. You need to an anchor. And when you anchor and you're tied to the bow of the boat, the boat swings around from being pushed sideways by the waves and the wind to face into the wind. And when it faces into the wind, the bow cuts the waves. And no matter how big the wave is, it might bounce you heavy, but the bow's heading into it. But boy, you better be afraid if that anchor comes loose, because if the anchor comes loose, you're going to turn sideways. And the wind's going to catch the broad side of the boat. I've had it happen twice in my life, once in salt water, once in fresh water. Literally, our boat was a wave came. We're sideways, about ready to capsize. Thank God both times it flopped back down. But yeah, you're in a very precarious, deadly situation when you're just drifting. Be scared. When you're anchored to yourself, to your money, to someone else, some organization, even politics, be scared because you should be. You're, gonna, you're just adrift. You need to get anchored so that you can cut through the waves. You see, when you're anchored to the Lord, you can cut through conflict and difficulty and hardships and diff... You, you, and you wonder how come they're so happy? How come they seem so peaceful? They seem... How did Corey Tenboom make it to a prison camp? How did how do, how, how does, do people, you know, like Johnny Erickson Tata lives in a wheelchair? She's so anchored. That's how she makes it. That's how you can make it. But you're going to need other people to help you hold.
The last thing I wanted to mention under this point was if you're depressed, if you're sad, if you're all disappointed with life and it's not working out the way you thought it would, it might be because you unanchored yourself. Maybe you weren't anchored to the Lord too good. Maybe, maybe you never were. But your sadness, your depression, your anger, your fearfulness is a sure revelation you're drifting. Now, it might not be your fault. Maybe your loved one died. Maybe your whole world's been shaken up. You lost your job or your doctor said you have cancer. Well, whether you caused it or you didn't cause it, the answer's still the same. You need to reset your anchor. That's the problem. You need to go back to the basics of saying, well, am I anchored to Christ or not? Am I anchored to the truth or not? Am I just living on my own or not? Where am I anchored to? No matter whether you caused it or not, it's almost like, let's not even talk about that. Who cares? The problem's got to be answered the same way. Re-anchor. You're sad, re-anchor. You're depressed, you're mad, re-anchor. You're hurt, re-anchor. You're frustrated, you're disappointed with what happened to your kids. or what. Re-anchor. There's no other hope. Especially not in this world. You know, there's people that seem to just drift through life and they grab onto this thing for a while and then that lets them down and then they grab onto something else and that, and that lets them down and then grab. Boy, that's a scary way to live. I don't think you want to live like that. But you have no other recourse if you won't anchor to Christ. Third point. You know, a hope-growing church will help you use your hope. I think of the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 4, the apostle Paul uses... um, Abraham in the Old Testament as an example. Remember, Abraham was told, through your descendants, the earth, a whole earth will be blessed. He's talking about the beginning of the, the, the Jewish nation of Israel. And he, he, he says, I, I promise you this. And then year by year goes by, and Abraham and Sarah don't have children, don't have children, don't have children, don't have children. He's becoming disappointed. He's losing what? Hope. Paul reminds us of this and says this. Romans 4.18, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. He, 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 as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Do you notice the, 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 the words here, hope against hope? The hope of, his, of the natural, logical, mathematical, truthful hope of mankind, he cannot have children. But he chooses against that hope, another hope, this moral certainty of his hope in God and the hope of what's been revealed and the hope that God's promised to him. Listen, listen to me. You're probably at the same place. You can choose the logical, mathematical certainty that you know of on this planet to put your hope in, or you can choose to put your hope in the certainty and the truthfulness taught by God. It's your choice. And sometimes it comes down to that. It sure did for Abraham. He had one way or the other. You're either going to trust this or trust... Hope here, hope there. Hope against hope. That's what I mean by use your hope. 
Use your moral certainty in God, in Christ alone. When it's dark, when it's light, when you're drifting, it's nice and calm, or when the storm comes up. In Psalm 42.5, the psalmist tells us a similar idea. In Psalm 42.5, he asks himself a question because he's really sad. And look what he says. I love this passage. He's t- if you ever tried this, is talking to your soul. You ever talk to your soul? Here's what he says. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? It's like he's looking at his heart going, what is wrong with you? Why are you so depressed? I, have you ever felt like that? I certainly have before where you're kind of like, gosh, I feel like really bummed out today. Really, Why am I so sad? He's talking to his soul, and what does he say? Soul, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He says, don't forget where you're anchored, soul. I'm going to hope in God. I'm going to hope in the moral certainty I have in the truth of God's word is revealed to me. I'm going to hope in God. Okay, I'm disappointed by this. Okay, this didn't work out. Okay, this makes me really sad. But I'm going to hope in God. He resets his anchor. Maybe you need to do that. I'm hoping many people in this service end up doing that in their life. Say, I've got to get my hope straight here because my soul's really downcast. It's in turmoil. I've got a hope in God. What's interesting is at the end of the chapter, he says the same thing, same question, same answer. So why are you downcast within me? Hope in God. Then you turn to chapter 43. He says the same thing in chapter 43. Why are you downcast, my soul? It's three times there in 42 and 43. Three times in those two chapters. Hope in God. His point is you need to hope in the Lord. It's the only real hope we have. Well, we need to turn from insecurity and fearfulness and expect God to work. I always think of Romans 8, 28. And God causes all things, it's his plan, all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, anchored to his love, anchored to his purpose. Oh, yeah. One thing I forgot to tell you, I don't have time to get into it in detail, but it's true. The Bible tells us very clearly, you have, I have, an enemy of my soul. He's called the devil. We don't understand him. There's a lot of mystery around him. He's called Satan. He's called the evil one. We see him periodically through scriptures. But he would love for you to think you're anchored, but you're not. He would love to get you off the anchor. That's what he said to Adam and Eve. Oh, you don't need to be tied up to the Lord. <laughs> if he said pick from the tree, he didn't really mean it. He, you know, you need to just do what you want. Drift right along, everything's going to be fine. You don't need to be so tight with the Lord. Getting so all tied up in this stuff. Yeah, that's the devil. And when he's got you drifting, he's got you right where he wants you. And sooner or later, that big storm will come, flip your boat sideways, boom, you're down. Yeah, he got you. All because when it was calm, you're just drifting. 
I'm, I'm sure there's people here right now in this comfortable culture, in this comfortable Medford, New Jersey, and you're just drifting along. It's going fine. Yeah, I get a bump here or there, but I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, he's got you right where he wants you. Just a matter of time, you're going down because you're not anchored. Or you think you are because you come to church or something. No. no, I'm talking about the anchor of your soul, your life. It's really important where you're anchored. I wonder, I wonder if this is even what James meant. He says, hey, count it all joy when you encounter various trials because those trials are going to point out really where your anchor is. Our anchor needs to be solidly in the Lord all the way. Oop, there goes my microphone. All the way. Or when the storms of life come, and they will, you'll probably get capsized. Through this whole sermon, I was uh, having this, this old song go through my mind. And um, it's an old song written by an old Baptist guy back in London, England. Horsham in London, England. And his name was Edward Moat. Edward Moat actually grew up in a bar in Horsham. His parents owned a pub. And he, um, he was pretty much left on the streets to raise himself. And he never heard the gospel truth until he became a teenager. And at the age of 18, Robert Moat turned to Christ and put his anchor in the Lord. Changed everything. It'd be like, it'd like when you drop anchor with a boat. Boy, it changes the whole direction. And the bow swings around, you're heading right into the wind. Everything's changed. And that's what happened. He anchored finally. Well, he was a cabinet maker. And for many years, he just went on making cabinets in London. He was doing great, but felt this urge to do something more. It was the call of God was on his life. He decided at 50 to become a pastor. He became a pastor of, of, in, in Horsham of a Baptist church. And he'd minister to people, and he said, one day I was reading my Bible in the morning, and these words came to me, and this melody came to me. So I wrote down the words, and then I realized, oh, I gotta go, and he had to run to this prayer meeting. So he folded it up, and he put it in his pocket. And, and he said, I went to the meeting, and I'm coming out of the meeting, and Mr. King was there. Mr. King went to his church. And Mr. King says, Pastor Moat, Pastor Moat, would you please go visit my, my wife today? She's home and she's very, very ill. She literally was on her deathbed. So Pastor Moat said, sure, Mr. King, I will go see Mrs. King. So he goes to the house. They let him in and she's there in bed. And he decides what I'm going to do is read a passage of scripture to it, like the one I read. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I go to my father's house to prepare a mansion. He reads like John 14. Gets all done, and he's going to pray with her. And she says, oh, um, my husband usually sings to me. I've heard you have a good voice. He says, well, I have no hymn notes. He goes, oh, but I have these words. I wrote down the piece of paper and this melody that's going through my head. And so... He took it out, and he read to this dying woman these words. You ready? My hope is built on nothing less 
in Jesus' blood and righteousness. Do you know what that means? The hope of you going to heaven is not based on whether you've been good or bad. It's based on whether Jesus Christ and his blood died on the cross to make you righteous, even though you're not. He paid the penalty. So he says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. <laughs> I remember when I, I've known this hymn for years. I remember hearing those words in college when I was kind of like maybe looking for a girlfriend. And I'm thinking, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. Yeah, it's not, she's not going to, no, no girl can do this. I better be anchored to something more than her. Right? I don't know if that's what he meant, but that's how I took it. Okay. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. But wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Did you catch that? All other ground is sinking sand. It's like Jesus' story. Remember the story he told in the Sermon on the Mount? There's a man who built his house in the sand, and then there's a man who built his house in the rock. And the man who built his house in the sand, when the storm came, it washed away. But the man who built himself, his house on the rock, he was safe. His anchor was secure. Second verse, when darkness veils his lovely face. Yeah, sometimes it seems like, where is God, right? I rest on his unchanging grace, the same yesterday, today, and forever. In every high and stormy gale, yes, the storms of life come. My anchor, there's the word, my anchor holds within the veil, within the veil. That's like that, that Hebrew 6 passage behind the veil, remember? On Christ the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, in other words, he's certain to be holding you true. He made a covenant promise. He made an oath. His blood and even paid for it and proved it with his blood. Support me in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way. And that happens sometimes, doesn't it? He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And then imagine, he read to this woman in bed. When he shall come with trumpet sound. He promises to come again someday, but sometime, some of us will go see him before that. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Where are you anchored? Have you realized today you've gone adrift? Sometimes our anchor comes up, you hardly even know it. I've had that happen when I'm fishing. You're so busy fishing, you look around and go, oh my gosh, the anchor must have let loose. We've moved 100 yards or something like that, down the beach. Sometimes you can come unhooked, you didn't even know. You were just going through life. But I God for his word. Thank God that we can dig into the word and realize today, oh my goodness, I got to get re reset my anchor. Can I help you do that? We're going to take the Lord's Supper in a minute. Maybe that'll help you do it. We're going to take, Pastor Doug's going to come out and lead us in the Lord's Supper, and he's going to use this song to help you reset your anchor. Can I pray with you first? Bow your head. Let's pray.
Let's pray it through, you and me. Lord, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We recognize, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I've fallen for the scheme of the devil. Tell him that. Lord, I'm so sorry. I've been hooked on to things that let loose. Lord, I let it loose myself. I'm sorry. Or, Lord, this terrible thing happened in my life. But I realize now, Lord, I don't want to be. I don't want to be adrift. I want to set my anchor in Christ alone. You can do it. Just say it, Lord. I'm gonna do it. I, want, I want to have this moral certainty that I know I'm going to heaven. I want to have this moral certainty that I can do the right thing tomorrow, next week. I want to have this moral certainty that, to give me this kind of life that's abundant life, the joyful life, the happy life. But I can't have it if I'm not anchored in you. And so right now I say, with all the moral certainty within me, I'm hooking on to Christ alone. I want to grow in this hope, Lord. I've got to get in a group or in a Bible study or in a prayer group or something where I can grow more in this hope or I'll surely go adrift again. So, Lord, I set my anchor in Christ alone. Help me as I take the Lord's Supper now to even live like that, feel that, experience that in my worship of the Lord's Supper together. In Jesus' name, amen.